John chapter 3, <clears throat> probably one of the most familiar Bible, verses in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I want you to think about it tonight that there's two words, only begotten, only begotten. You know, of course, this is correctly translated, many Many new modern versions just simply say the only son. They drop the word begotten. But the only begotten means single of its kind. Solitary in its type is the idea. Single of its kind. It's unique. Um, Frenchman told me one time that the French translate this unique. In other words, it's existing as the only one having no equal or parallel. That's our Savior. He is unique. You know, we are all, the Bible tells us that we are, if we're saved, we are sons and daughters of the Almighty. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 tells us that. But He is the Son of God, the only begotten, the unique, one-of-a-kind Son of God. And those are things here I want to mention tonight. First of all, he, of course, he was unique in his birth. Isaiah 7.14 says, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. He shall be called Emmanuel. Isaiah 9.6 says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and he shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Timothy tells us, or Paul tells us in Timothy, 1 Timothy 3.16, that God was manifest in the flesh. So his birth was unique. It was different than any other birth ever in all time, in all, all of history. There is none like it. He's also unique in his life as a young child. He was worshipped. You remember the wise men from the east came to see him. He was maybe one to two years old at the time. We don't know for certain how old. He was not at the manger. He was at the ha- at a house at this point in time. But And they came uh, to see him, and they worshipped him. They brought gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, those gifts are significant. Gold speaks of deity. They understood that he was a king. They they came to see the king of Israel. He was born king of the Jews. It speaks of a king. They brought frankincense. That was an incense that was used in worship. It was used in the uh, uh, sacrifices of the Old Testament in the... uh, um, Altar of, at the altar of incense. It was part of the incense mixed with the other, other spices to burn sweet incense. Of course, those in, speak of prayers that are the sweet incense to, the, the, to God, but, but it speaks of intercession. That he would be the one that would intercede for us for our sin. They understood that. See, they understood all this. No, they bring gold, frankincense, but they also brought myrrh. Myrrh was an ointment they used for burial. 
So these wise men understood that this was he who would be born king of the Jews who would also die to intercede for the sins of mankind. They understood that. And as a young child, they worshipped him. Again, giving evidence that he believed he was God. He wasn't just an ordinary child. Of course, he, Herod tried to kill him. But in his life, of course, he healed the sick, raised the dead. He had power over the elements. Uh, you know, he spoke with great authority, not like the Pharisees. You know, the Pharisees in John chapter 7, the Pharisees send the temple police to arrest him. And they didn't, didn't bring him. And they asked him, why have you not brought him? They said, never a man spake like this man. He's not like any other. In John 8, 46, he says to the Pharisees who are trying to arrest him and trying to put him to death, which of you convinceth me of sin? <laughs> Try that to somebody you witnessed to. And they couldn't say anything. They had nothing to say. You know, it's interesting uh, I this off the internet a couple years ago. It says there's never been another like the Lord Jesus. Jesus was the God-man. Have you ever thought how unique the life of the Lord Jesus is? How absolutely unique? And you know Jesus never withdrew or modified anything he ever said? Many things he said were hard to understand, but he never said, I made a mistake. I'd like to restate that. Jesus never apologized for any of his actions. Many things they didn't understand, and some people got angry with him, but he never one time apologized. Jesus Christ never sought advice from anybody. Moses had his 70 elders. Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived, had his advisors. Jesus never asked advice from anyone. Jesus Christ never justified anything he did. When he was late, or seeming late, when Lazarus died, he never gave any explanation. When he was asleep on the back of a ship, when the ship was about to sink, he never did justify his actions to anybody. Jesus Christ never asked forgiveness, not one time, did he ask for anybody ever to forgive him or for God ever to forgive him. Why? Because he was sinless. Jesus Christ never asked anyone to pray for him. He asked the disciples to watch and pray. He told them to pray, lest ye enter into temptation. But he never asked anyone to forgive him. He never corrected himself. And yet, he was not arrogant. He was meek and mild. Jesus Christ did not have any strong points. In order to have strong points, you have to have weak points. He had no strong points or weak points. He was the most perfectly balanced individual who ever lived. See, he was unique in his life. There's no other like him. No other ever lived like him. He was also unique in his death. In John 17, or 10, 17, 18, we read this morning, he said that he gave his life, he had power to take it up, and he had power to lay it down, he had power to take it up again. And no man taketh it from me. And when he's dying, he says to his fellow man that was crucified with him, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. And Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. 
And at his death, there's an earthquake. Graves are opened. And men come out of those graves. The veil of the temple is rent from top to bottom. And the centurion said, in Mark 15, 39, Truly, this was the Son of God. Truly, this was the Son of God. See, his death was like, unlike any other. But not only was he unique in his birth and life and death, but he was unique in his resurrection. Of course, he was buried for three days, but his resurrection was announced by an angel. He was seen for 40 days. And Acts chapter 1, verse 3 tells, him, he tells us, that, according to, to Luke, Dr. Luke, that he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs. Or is it, these are things that are not liable to error. They are proven historical facts. In fact, 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 6 says, he was seen of 500 brethren at one time. And Hebrews tells us that he ever liveth to make intercession for us. Hebrews 7.25 Again, these are well-established facts. Uh, When speaking about the uniqueness of Christianity, get this off of Bible.org, it uh, part of it says here, alone, quote, alone, alone of all beliefs of mankind, be they religious or political or philosophical, Christianity, including its Old Testament foundation, is based upon historical acts and facts. Other religions are centered in the ethical and religious teachings of their founders, but Christianity is built on the great events of creation and redemption. The Muslim faith is based on the teachings of Muhammad. Buddhism is based on the teachings of Buddha. Confucianism is on the teachings of Confucius. Marxism on the teachings of Marx. And evolution on the teachings of Darwin. Not one of these is based on the observation of historical data or facts. But on the teachings and theories of men. Remember, elevation. Evolution is based on theory, not observable data. Catholic Church is based on the teachings of the Roman Catholic Church. Mormonism is based on the teachings of Joseph Smith. Who were witnesses? No one. No one. Christianity, however, is founded not on what Jesus taught, and this is the vital distinction we need to grasp, but on who Jesus is and on what he accomplished. Remember what Jesus said in John chapter 5, verse 36? I have greater witness than that of John. The works that I do, they bear witness of me. In other words, the works he did proved who he was and what he said. So again, our, our Christianity is based on facts and the acts of Jesus Christ, not just what he said. Because he proved what he said by what he did. Um, so it goes on and it says, Of course, as Christians, we stand firmly on his teachings. No one ever spoke and taught like Jesus, but ultimately, 
the value of what he said was dependent upon who he was and what he did, and the abundant historical evidence that authenticated his life and words. This gave the teachings of Christ authority and placed them alone in the category of absolute truth. The truthfulness of Jesus and his teachings stands on the validity of historical records which are subject to investigation and examinations. You know what the Bible says? Prove your own selves. The Bible says, come now and let us reason together. What's that mean? To investigate and come to logical conclusions. The Libraeans were more noble in them than Thessalonica in that they searched the scripture daily to see whether these things were so. And again, Luke based his evidence on historical facts. Not just the words that Jesus said, but the facts. It goes on, all other beliefs are based on the teachings and ideas of those who were nothing more than mere men. No matter how brilliant, charismatic, or powerful they may be, there is no guarantee of their objectivity, accuracy, or ultimate ability to deliver what they promised. The uniqueness of Christianity, however, ultimately depends on the uniqueness of its central figure, the Lord Jesus Christ. Some try to place Christ among the great leaders of history as one of many. But this is grotesque and absurd. Either he was who he said he was and who history demonstrates him to be, or as someone has put it, he was on par with a man who thinks he's a poached egg. Christ's uniqueness is so great that no one, absolutely no one, can compare with him. So, you know, he is unique in his resurrection. And he's unique, it is unique in his relationship to us. You know, Ephesians 1 tells us that we are to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. We've been accepted. In the beloved. You know, our relationship with him is family, a family relationship. In Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 1, I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 13. Paul writing the church at Ephesus says, Wherefore I desire that you faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. You see, we have a family relationship. Jesus called his disciples friends. And, and, and later he called them brethren. In John 15, he, he referred to them as friends. But in John 20, he said to, the, to, the, to Mary, go tell my brethren. Go tell my brethren. It became a family relationship. You know, he is the only begotten. He is the unique son of God. But we are the adopted children of God. We have legal rights through him into the family of God.
Again, 2 Corinthians 6.18 refers to us as sons and daughters of the Almighty. Not just servants. Not just friends. But sons and daughters. This is a unique privilege that we have. This is a relationship like no other. There's no relationship like what we have in Christ. And... You know, we have, we have a, and I don't really like this word, but we have a quote-unquote religion, true religion. We have, what we have is true religion. James talks about true religions. It, you know, the, often that word is used and it doesn't refer to something good, but in James it refers to the truth. We have a religion based on historical facts and acts to support the claims that Jesus Christ made concerning himself. It's just not what? Joseph Smith said, or Buddha said, or Muhammad said, or what Paul said, or Peter said, or Luke said. You know what they said? The things they said were also based on historical facts. When Paul writes about the Lord in the book of Hebrews, you know what he's doing? He's basing his writing on historical facts. Things that actually happened. So, we ought never take for granted what you have in Christ. It is extremely different than any other religion in the world. That's why we say we can know. We can know that we're saved. I was thinking today about our neighbor, Catholic. Can you ever really know as a Catholic? Linda's shaking her head no. She understands what that means. Because you're always thinking there's something else, there's something else, there's something else. There's no certainty there because it's based on a works merit type system. So you can never really know if you've attained the favor that God requires of you or not. You can never know as a Muslim whether you're going to attain eternal life. Well, they say that, you know, if you commit suicide some reason they, you know, they're all drugged up and scared when they do that, but, but nevertheless. But you can never know. You can never have certainty. Why? Because it's based upon the teachings of a man that lacks historical evidence and facts to back up what that man said. Look at the, just some of the, uh, the uniqueness of Christianity. Uh, Dr. James Kennedy has has a book that he wrote. Um, I don't remember what it's called. It's in this article here somewhere. But anyway, oh, what if Jesus had never been born? And he gives them some of the interview, uh, some of the um, positive contributions of Christianity made throughout the centuries. Again, as evidence of the uniqueness of Christianity, and he he gives a few a few highlights. 
contributions of Christianity, hospitals, universities, literary, literacy and education for the masses. Remember, remember what, uh, um, yeah, the, the Bible translator they put, Tim, William Tyndale said to the, the Catholic priest, I'm going to make the plowboy understand more about the scriptures than you can. Common man, literacy. Capitalism, free enterprise. Representative government, particularly as we have seen in the American experiment. Separation of political powers, civil liberties, the abolition of slavery, modern science, the discovery of the world, the new world, the elevation of women, benevolence and charity, high standards of justice, the elevation of the common man, the condemnation of adultery, homosexuality, and other sexual perversions, this has helped to preserve the human race and has spared many from heartache. A high regard for human life. We're not just a fetus or a thing or an amoeba evolved from, you know, a fish evolved from amoebas. Uh, the civilizing of many barbarian and primitive cultures, the codifying and setting to writing of many of the world's languages, great development of art and music, countless changed lives transformed from liabilities into assets to society, because of the gospel. You know, the gospel makes, changes, transforms lives, and makes people assets and not liabilities to society. And, of course, the eternal salvation of countless souls. Uh, so, you know, he says, When Jesus Christ took upon himself the form of a man, he imbued mankind with a dignity an inherent value that has never been dreamed of before. Whatever Jesus touched or whatever he did transformed that aspect of human life. Many people will read about the innumerable small incidents in the life of Christ while never dreaming that those casually mentioned little things were to transform the history of mankind. No one, not all of the greatest military dictators of the world or leaders of the world, all of them combined cannot compare to the effect that Christ has had on mankind. And we are privileged to know him. And again, we can say, that's why John said, hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. We can know because it's based on facts and acts. Things that really happened. Christ really did die. It can be proven scientifically. There is more proof to the death and resurrection of Christ than there is to Aristotle. But nobody doubts Aristotle lived. But yet people try to deny the death and resurrection of Christ. So truly, we have something that is unique. Something that is of great value. That's why the Bible says, buy the truth and sell it.
there is nothing worth selling out Jesus Christ for. There's nothing worth what he is. So we have, we have something that is very unique, singular of its kind. And we ought to be truly thankful. No wonder Paul said, thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. You know what that means? There's no words to express it. John said, if, if everything would be written, the whole world would not contain the books that could be written about him. We have a unique, a unique Savior and a unique relationship. Let's rejoice in that and serve him faithfully. Let's pray. Heavenly